following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Job, chapter 19, beginning at verse 13. Job has suffered multiple disasters and three friends have come to sit alongside him and advise him. Um, And we hear part of Job's response to his so-called comforters. God has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look upon me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. The second reading is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. Luke chapter 4. Jesus speaks in Nazareth. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let's begin with a prayer. 
May I speak to the glory of God the Father, and in the name of Jesus the Son, and through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I know about my grandfather is that he was shipped over to France in 1944 as part of the Allied Army shortly after D-Day. I know that he landed on the Normandy coast and fought his way across through France and Belgium. I know that he then crossed into Holland. I know these things, but I can't tell you how I know them because he never talked about it. The only time I remember him mentioning his war experience was when his army mate Alf came on a visit. And the two of them reminisced about sitting smoking in the dark behind a captured enemy tank until it occurred to one of them that the tip of the cigarette was making them a target. And they then dissolved into laughter because as they remembered this, they thought it was more like Dad's army than was something that would happen in real life. All of that I remember. But the serious stuff, how the tank came to be captured, what it was like to fight, how it felt to be afraid, he never talked about that. And he wasn't alone. Many service people coped in that way. Remembering was not something they did, at least not out loud. The broadcaster John Craven, you may know him from Country File on the BBC, or if you're older like me, you may know him from Newsround. He says of his own father, like many of his compatriots who eventually came home, he refused to talk in any detail about those times, no matter how much I tried to persuade him. John Craven continues a little later, the reason for this silence I've always suspected is that he and thousands of others like him suffered beyond our comprehension. We're here today to remember. This kind of remembering doesn't mean asking survivors to relive trauma or experience again what they long to leave behind them. This year we marked 75 years since the end of the Second World War and there were two anniversaries 75 years since VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, and 75 years since VJ Day, Victory over Japan. On the anniversary of VJ Day, the BBC screened a special remembrance event. You may have seen it. And one of the veterans that they interviewed said of the wartime experience in the Far East, the details never leave you. Now I take that to mean that the details of what he heard and saw and felt are burned into his memory. And our job on Remembrance Sunday 
is not to reopen old wounds like that. And I'll come back later to why that might be and what the Bible has to say about it. But if it's not our job on Remembrance Sunday to reopen old wounds, then what are we doing today? Well, today we're remembering the suffering and the courage and the sacrifice of those who endured war. We who do not carry those old wounds, we who don't have the details burned onto our memories, it's our job to ensure that the bravery and the suffering of others isn't forgotten. And that takes me to our reading from the Old Testament this morning, our reading from the book of Job. There's no doubt about the depth of Job's suffering. We hear in the first verses of our reading that his family is alienated from him. His relatives have deserted him. He's an outcast from all society, unable to get a response from his servants and forgotten even by his closest friends. He's ridiculed by small children and he's become physically repugnant to his wife. In addition, there's his own physical suffering. In verse 20, he says, I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Earlier, I mentioned John Craven's father. Private Willie Craven was one of the Allied soldiers captured in the Far East by the Japanese during the Second World War. And he was put to work on the notorious Burma-Siam Railway, known as the Death Railway. 16,000 prisoners died during the construction of that railway. And those who survived often suffered disease amid the terrible living conditions. Private Craven suffered from malaria, beriberi, dysentery, diarrhea, ulcers, and appendicitis. And when he got appendicitis, one of his fellow prisoners, who was a Harley Street surgeon before the war, decided to operate. John Craven writes that the surgeon used knives made from sharpened bamboo, and for an anaesthetic, he used sake, a potent rice wine secretly brewed by the prisoners of war. Dad was so weak that after a few swigs, he was out cold, and the surgeon got to work successfully. Now, I can't begin to imagine an operation where the anaesthetic is homebrew and where the surgeon's tools are pieces of sharpened bamboo. When Private Craven came home, he weighed just five and a half stone. And often when we look at the photos of the men who survived that war in the Far East, we see emaciated figures. We see skin and bones. We see men who escaped by the skin of their teeth. 
Their suffering echoes Job's suffering. And Job's words take us right to those photos. And what then does Job want done? Well, in verses 23 and 24, he tells us, he wants his words to be recorded. He wants his words to be written down first on a scroll, then on lead, and finally on rock. He wants his words to last forever. Job does not want his suffering to be forgotten. And it's very important that the suffering of those who endure it is not forgotten. That's a key reason why we have Remembrance Day each year. So that those of us who do not bear the old scars remember those who do and remember also all of those who did not survive to remember with us. But Job says more than this. In words that have been debated and retold, set to music and performed through the centuries, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Despite the destruction of all that he holds dear, Job still knows that his Redeemer lives. He knows he will see God. And it's especially interesting that he emphasizes seeing. Three times in that last verse, I will see God, I myself will see him, with my own eyes. At the end of the book of Job, he does see God. He says in chapter 42, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So what is the significance of this seeing God? Well, scholars have debated this long and hard, not least because seeing God doesn't seem to answer the problem of why Job has suffered. It doesn't answer Job's complaint against unjust suffering. And yet, it does allow Job to move on. It begins a process of healing. Seeing God and seeing from God's viewpoint, which is what Job is allowed to do from chapter 38 onwards, are the start of the healing of Job's life, which is expressed at the epilogue at the end of the book. Thinking again about the Second World War in the Far East, another survivor was Leonard Wilson, the Bishop of Singapore. He was imprisoned by the Japanese and accused of spying. He was held for eight months and was tortured by being strapped to a table with sometimes up to seven men taking it in turns to flog him. Often he was so weak after his beatings 
that he had to be carried back to his cell semi-conscious. In a sermon after the war in 1946, he says this. There came to my mind as I lay on the table the words of that communion hymn, Look, Father, look on his anointed face and only look on us as found in him. And so I saw them, he means his torturers, and so I saw them, not as they were, not only as they had been, but as they were capable of becoming, redeemed by the power of Christ. Just as God gave Job a different view, so God gave Leonard Wilson a different view, the ability to see his torturers as they were capable of becoming in Christ. He later speaks of praying, using the words, Visit then this soul of mine, and pierce the gloom of sin and grief. He says, Gradually the burden of this world was lifted, and I was carried into the presence of God, and received from him the strength and peace, which were enough to live by, day by day. Just as with Job, God enabled Leonard Wilson to see things differently and in so doing gave him strength and started his journey to healing. God's will is for healing. We cannot explain why there is such suffering, but again and again the Bible and Christian witness testify to God's will to bring healing and release from suffering. At the start of his ministry, as set out in Luke's Gospel, and that was our New Testament reading for this morning, Jesus stands in the temple and quotes from the book of Isaiah. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus talks about his anointing to bring healing and freedom. God's will is for healing and release from suffering. And it's for this reason that our job today is not to reopen old wounds of those who survived the suffering of war. We believe in a God of healing and release from suffering. But we are here to remember. I've concentrated today on one particular conflict, the Second World War and one particular part of that conflict in the Far East. And that's been for a reason. Compared with the war in Europe, the war in the Far East has received comparatively little attention here in the UK. The army that played a crucial role in defeating the Japanese, the 14th Army, 
has become known as the Forgotten Army. 85% of the 14th Army were from pre-partition India and Africa. And I think many of us have forgotten how much we owe to the courage of all those who fought and suffered in the Far East, and how much we owe to those who went there from continents other than Europe. Let us this morning remember them. I'd like to finish with two endings. The first is from Private Craven. In September 1945, he was able to write his first letter home for three and a half years. The first line of that letter to his wife, Mary, says this. Dear Mary, I hardly know where to start. It has been a terrible time. I've been lucky and got through with the help of God and your love and prayers. At the end of suffering that may be incomprehensible to us, Private Craven acknowledged the help of God and the role of prayer. The second ending is from that sermon preached by Leonard Wilson in 1946. It may be nearly 75 years old, but it doesn't date. In many ways, it echoes the conviction and the testimony of Job. Listen to what Leonard Wilson says, and know that it is addressed to you and to me and to all of us. God, in all his power and strength and comfort, is available to every one of us today. He was revealed to me not because I was a special person, but because I was willing in faith to accept what God gave. I know that it is true not just because the Bible says so, or because the church has told us, but because I have experienced it myself. And whether you are despondent or in joy, whether you are apathetic or full of enthusiasm, there is available for you at this moment the whole life of God with its victory over sin and pain and death. I pray to God that for your sakes, for England's sake, for the world's sake, for God's sake, you will accept him. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.